Welcome to season four of Business Book Talk. I'm your host, Bob Garlick. This year, we have even more great books to help you excel in business and life. You can search for book topics and themes at businessbooktalk.com or subscribe using your smartphone for great content on the go. Hey, everybody, it's Bob again. I've got The Case of the Missing Cutlery, a leadership course for the rising star by Kevin Allen, and uh, he's a returning guest author. Kevin, thanks for coming on the show again today. Uh, It's great to be back. Really great. (laughs) Now, where the heck are you right now? Well, I'm in New York City. Okay. Uh, at least at the yeah for the moment anyway. Because last time you were in London, I think. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I, I kind of bounced back and forth. I'm I'm happy to say, uh, but um, so I'm racking up the miles and not a lot of sleep. <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> tr- so, do you stay long enough to even get jet lag? Uh, yeah, I think I've been in a permanent state of jet lag for about twenty years. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a new book, actually. How to, how it to does, survive actually, in bed? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is a tiny book. It's great. I got the yeah. you know hardcover. It basically weighs in around 60, 60 pages. Uh, yeah. And like I was mentioning earlier, it reminds me a lot of um, Who Moved the Cheese. Wow, well, I'm, was, proud, I'm, I'm proud to even be thought of in the same uh, <laughs> the same dimension. Well, but, you know, it, one of the problems with a lot of business books today is you know they've got a, a amazing amount of knowledge in them they're just too long and people yeah. can't get through them and and all that knowledge is lost because they're yeah. just stuck in the pages yeah it's true i, I remember what, one of my first bosses he said uh, if i had more time i would have written a shorter letter i mean i think i think there's a million people accredited with that but especially when i think today of the speed at which people move and and, and especially the group that that i'd really would love to be reading it's like everybody to read it of course but the yeah, the aspiring leader People who you know weren't born many years ago, like me, you know, they're used to fast, digestible, um, you know, and 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 the ability to, to to take something in quickly. So that was the idea. Yeah, cool. Very very cool. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about the book. What inspired you to write this book? You know, I, I think that uh, I do an awful lot of uh, coaching and, and and mentoring for for up and comers, and you know, you reach a time of your life. It's just a wonderful thing to be doing, and. And inevitably, the question is asked, you know, you know, are, are leaders born? Do I have what it takes and all this business? And, and maybe when I was a kid coming up in the business, if you didn't eat bowls of ten penny nails for breakfast and, and all that business, maybe you weren't leadership material, you know. But, you know, and, and, you know, by the way, and I didn't qualify because I was, you know, a pretty sensitive guy and I wasn't exactly a tough guy. But, you know, what I, what I learned is that, you know, leadership is about generosity of spirit and understanding the heart and soul of your people. And if they think you're worthy, and if they think you understand and love them and believe in them, they'll follow you anywhere. So I tell these young people that the person you are as you are uh, can lead, and you can learn to do it. Well, you know what? You mentioned, uh, in, in, amongst a bunch of other stuff, the concept of floating. If you <laughs> lead properly, you're kind of like floating through the day. Yeah. Can you explain yeah. that in a little bit more detail? You know, I think that you can you can you can tell people what to do and and you know wag the finger and say I want this, and certainly they'll oblige to and probably give you exactly what you asked for. But if you want to be great, if you want to achieve something amazing, um, people have to be inspired and believe in 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 where you're taking them, and when they do, they, they'll make you buoyant. They'll they'll support you. They kind of make you float because, you know, we need people. Uh, you know, think of all the, you know, you may have strengths, but you got a lot of weaknesses too. Who's going to fill those weaknesses? Who's going to fill those gaps? 
and help you get where you, where you go. That's, that's an act of, of willing support, which I call buoyancy. Now, in the book, you use this very interesting um, illustration, the Allen Key. Yes. What inspired you to use an Allen Key? Because in a lot of the books, they'll have different diagrams. It's the first time I've seen the concept of the Allen Key. <laughs> I think the first thing is I, I fancy myself really handy, you know, like I can really fix things, but actually I can't. I'm the, I'm the guy that calls up the plumber in like in two hours, and he makes fun of me. But I do have a cool toolbox, and in the toolbox is this very strange key that opens a very, very special screw. And so the inspiration of that is unlocking people's desire is really what leadership is all about. It's the ability to understand your people and what they desire, what they dream of, and then to connect yourself to it. And so the top part of the Allen key are the motivations of your people, and the bottom part is you, Um, your real ambition, where you want to take them, your credo, what you believe in, and your, and your core, what it, is, what it is about you that is special. You connect those two things, and people will follow you anywhere. Wow. Now, uh, it's, it's kind of broken down into to three different versions of it. You, yeah. um, the key is uh, basically there's six spaces. Right. You've got the, uh, the wants and the real ambitions, and they, they kind of counteract each other. Then you've got yep. uh, values and credo, which kind of counteract each other, and then mm-hmm. core and needs. Do you have to address those in, in a specific order, or is it, are you looking for the weakness? I have a good core, but I have weak needs. Is, is that how it works, or are you just trying to balance everything? That's an interesting question. I think that uh, if you think about people's fundamental emotional desires, wants, uh, needs, or values. Now, let's, all of them are present, there's no doubt, but there's one or two that are, the well, one, I should say, that is really at the core, at the issue. So you may have a group that, let's take needs. Needs is about something I'm unsure of. Maybe I'm a little fearful. And you, and you, and you connect to that by, by your core. So you say, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure if we can, if we can make, that, make that ambition. Your answer is your core that says, absolutely, we have the ability together, I have the ability to lead you, and we can, we can, we can get where we need to go. So depending upon the situation, you might have people whose motivations are, are based upon wants, which is ambition. But not just any ambition, the, 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 the desire to create something amazing that didn't exist before. And you connect that with what I call your real ambition, which isn't the numbers, let's go 20% growth or whatever, it's let's we, let's go to the moon what do you think and and by one of the one of the things and notice maybe remember kennedy's speech we choose to go to the moon in this decade people love the idea of a seemingly impossible goal especially people who are motivated by wants is it the desired uh, you know as a leader when when you say something we're going to do x and it's an impossible goal people say okay i'm into doing that because because it's an impossible thing, it takes a lot of the pressure away because in their hearts says, well, we're never going to get there, but this is what the leader wants, so let's try anyways. I think that, that I, have a, I have an expression I like to call it the six o'clock conversation. And you know, if there's anything I learned from those kitchens as compared to the high-flying hallways is everybody, and I don't care where they are in any workplace, want to go home at six o'clock when they're asked the question, how was your day? And the answer is, guess what we did today? You know, everybody wants to create something or feel as if they're contributing to something special. It's the human condition. So when a leader understands the soul of their people and says, let's do this, and I know, and I believe in you, and I know you guys can get us there, at times they may be frightened or they may be uncertain, 
but there's nothing like a, 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 an almost seemingly impossible objective to rally a group of people, particularly if they feel they're a part of it. You've written the book, and I asked this question for everybody, you know it's coming up. What was your aha moment for this book? What was the crystallizing thing that you learned from writing the book? I was astounded by the reaction to what, it, what was otherwise a ridiculous story of me at 21. You know, I think my, when I started approaching the thing, I have to say, I started thinking about, all right, well, what big thing in my career, you know, the high-flying ad guy, you know, oh, I'll tell the story of this or I'll tell the story of that as a great demonstration of leadership. And I am surprised at the degree to which, it's, you know, there's, there's a resonance in a story of a 20-year-old, 21-year-old kid with his knees knocking over his first management uh, job. So it's been, a, it's been wonderful. Mm. Now, you've hinted at the story. The book is about the story. Let's talk a little bit about that story because it is so wonderful. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was a kid, you know, kid from the wrong side of the tracks. And, and, and uh, you know, when you're raised by the kind of folks I was raised, when it comes time for a career, you'd have the following, well, you know, I, I, can, I can introduce you to the Steamfitters Union or whatever. The idea of going to college, I remember my uncle's going, well, what do you want to do that for? <laughs> So I graduated from school not knowing what to do, and I had put myself through college mopping floors at Marriott's in-flight services. Marriott used to have an airline catering division way back then. So they said, hey, you know, what are you doing after school? I said, well, I don't know. I said, well, how would you like to be an assistant manager? So, of course, I went, yes, right away. And there I was in my, my, my big old uh, – they put you in, in lab coats. You look like doctors, you know, only, only why is it? All through my life, whenever I got like my gym uniform, why was it like twelve sizes too big? Yeah, that's weird. You know, so here's this like skinny kid, this great big coat, and the the, the issue was very simple from the get go. The, the Eastern Airlines remember Eastern Airlines. Wow, you know they're long gone, but they were a huge airline in the day. And their their fella comes bursting into the office one afternoon saying the cutlery's going missing by the thousands, and I don't know where it's going, but we're going to hold you people accountable. And so the long story short, the boss asked me to see if I could do to find out where on earth all this cutlery was going. And you remember those days. It was cutlery in all services, you know, in the front, the back, and, you know. And what do I find? I'm going through the dishroom, which is the dishwashing room at 6 in the morning, and I look at the dumpster where all the garbage goes, and there, gleaming, is the cutlery. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you people doing? And these wonderful people. Now, you know, I was close to them. I mean, goodness sake, I went to, went to college on a, on a union scholarship, so I understood these people. And they said, Mr. Allen, we can't get it clean. We try and we try. We put it through, we put it through, and half of it comes out. And we were so afraid of that guy, and we didn't want anything to happen to you, so we threw it out. <laughs> so I'm like, I, guys, look, okay, let's start with the first thing. Stop doing that. <laughs> but I said, so we, got, let's, we can figure this out. Um, and I got the, the best strategy. In the meantime, I'm thinking to myself, what on earth am I going to do? And this wonderful woman, who was really the de facto CEO, I mean, as far as I was concerned, Joe Dell, takes me aside and says, not given. You know, everybody knows you don't know your astronaut tea kettle, but they do love you, and they know that you believe in them, and they know that you care about them. Remember that application you filled out for Mrs. Rodriguez's son for college? They know you care. Just step back and don't meddle. You'll mess it up for sure. <laughs> so I realized immediately that I didn't have to solve it. I had to believe that they could and let them know that I cared about them, that I believed in them, and, and by God, they'd make me buoyant. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and they did. And, and one of the pieces that intervened in all of that 
was a woman named Daisy. Now, Daisy, oh, God, ah, this will never work, and blah, 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 and so forth. And, you know, it's classic resistor that many people find in, corpor- in corporations. And I finally said to Daisy, you know, Daisy, um, you know, my mother used to say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. You know, people listen to you, and you've got a choice to make. Anyway, long story short, the following couple of days, and she says, baking soda. What? The whole room turns. Baking soda? What are you talking about? She says, my father used to say you could take the paint off a Chevrolet with baking soda. That's going to get it cleaned. And long story short, through the dishwasher, through the rain, through the, through the steam, and out comes the gleaming cutlery. And, you know, I have been blessed um, to have had a career where I've met all kinds of folks, the tops of companies, the whole nine yards. But nothing compares to seeing those people and how they felt about what they achieved. And it was the greatest management lesson I could have learned at that tender age of 21. Well, you know, it's very interesting. You use a, use a very powerful statement there. Uh, we can figure this out. And when you say that, you're empowering people. You know, you've got a group of one person in front of you or five or a thousand, and it's all yeah. about the leader saying, like, we yeah. as a whole can figure this out. Everybody yeah. has ownership. And when we succeed, everybody owns the pride. And you're right. It's the great corporations that are run that way. There's no question about it. And I think that, that, that in, you know, increasingly contemporary companies, I, I, I believe, are communities of people bound by a value system, and they sign up for something they deeply believe in. And you, know, you can wag your finger and tell someone, I want you know, two ounces of X, and guess what? You'll get two ounces of X. But you'll never, ever know really how extraordinary people can be until you until you stretch them, and uh, I think we, I think in companies all over the world, I think many leaders would admit that we underestimate the talent and power of what of what can be harnessed. It's almost like great leaders have to be curious about everything because then they can have genuine conver- genuine conversations with staff and say, "Well, tell me about this," and really, and 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 explain it to me, and actually be enthused in a real way, not a fake way. And then be able to go back and remember that and be able to go back, hey, how's that going? Because it's, it's recognition of the person's skill set and saying, well, that's great. Go for it. I think that's a very empowering way of managing. I just love the idea about the idea that, you know, if, if the old descriptions of leadership were toughness and you know, ruthlessness and blah, blah, and, you're, and you rightly say one of the key characteristics of, of, of contemporary leadership is curiosity. You say to yourself, wow. And it reminds me of Charlie, who was one of my first ship supervisors. And we'd be sitting in the little dispatch office. He'd say, okay, come on, we're gonna go, I'm going to go tour the orchestra, he says. So I'm like, what is this man talking about? This man would walk a floor. And he'd walk past, good morning, Lee, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. And then as we passed, he'd say, you know, I think my, I think my string section's out of tune. And he had the emotional intelligence and the curiosity about, you know, there's something not quite right here. And of course, he would later revisit that group and see if he could figure out, you know, what was wrong. So you're right. I think there's inherent curiosity about, about the people in the organization, what they're thinking, how they're feeling. And of course, these are, these are not necessarily things we would have associated with classic leadership. You know, um, you know the old days where leaders were supposed to be uh, omnipotent and separated. Don't get close to your people. You have to be sort of, you know, sp- step back a little bit. And it's just as old as the hills. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was uh, I was talking with some artists the other day, and we were talking about the commoditization of 
art and why art has, is very hard to sell at what it's worth these days. And I said, well, the problem right. is, is because the industrial Resolu- revolution, you have, you can now hire a highly skilled artist to create the original, and then it can get bashed off by a bunch of people that really have no creative insight at all. They're just good at duplicating that particular yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Do you think that'll ever happen to leaders or are leaders, uh, I don't want to say like a special breed, but a, a, a special combination of personality traits that um, will always be um, a rare thing? That's a really interesting thing. I would say that if, if leadership was defined in the old way, that is, you know, a group of automatons giving orders out, that could be duplicated the way you're describing. But if leadership is described as the power of human empathy, as the the power of of curiosity, as you say, and emotional intelligence, then I'll tell you something, that you cannot, that's that's a powerful human trait that can never be replicated. Now, for all our listeners, how can they... Uh, look at their company and and do what you've done with you know the case of the missing cutlery. I think the first step, and, and my mom used to have a lot of expressions. She used to say when I was growing up, but she she reserved one for me. Kevin, listening is not waiting for your turn to speak. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it requires if the old way is about telling, um, the, the new way is about listening. But listening not uh, for functional stuff. It's having your emotional antenna to understand what the sentiments uh, of the people in your organization and how, and how to connect with them. So it really requires a very, very different listening skill. You mentioned presence or you're implying presence that when you're talking and listening to people, you're there in the moment. How difficult is that for a leader today because they're, they don't have enough time and yeah. you know, a lot of times wasted with silly, silly little things like emails or whatever. Yeah. How yeah. does a leader define what's important? I think that um, one of the transitions I made and I realized I had to make when I was coming up is the early part of my career as a, as a and I'll put quotes on leader there for a minute, was kind of the physicality of what I did, you know, all the donuts I made, or at least with a small group of people. But at a certain point, as my, one of my first real big bosses said to me, he says, you know, Kev, now, my friend, you are dinner conversation. I'm like, what? It meant that no longer was the physicality of what I do the determinant of being a great leader. It's how I would forge and how I would communicate and how I would, how I would deliver presence as much as humanly possible. What that means is you have to let go. You know, there's a lot of physical stuff you do that's very satisfying and all very wonderful and all very hands-on, but there's certain things you've got to let go of, and there's plenty of people to pick it up and do it. No one can replace the power of the presence. And I don't mean physical presence all the time. There's lots of other ways to achieve presence um, and connectivity of you to your people. So, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable when you're flying up there alone, but you've got to let some stuff go. Well, that reminds me of a great book called uh, From Bud to Boss, and it's basically the, the concept of you, you're, you're working with a group of people, and you excel, and eventually you become their managers, and that's a different relationship. Yes, it is. Um, how do you deal with that? Because you're a type of guy that's been be moving up the ranks for a long time. You've, you've been up on a very, very high levels, so and I'm sure you're going up even higher levels. 
how do you deal with the people that you've known for many, many years and, and you've just become less and less available? That's really very interesting. I think that I'm sure you may have seen over the years people you've known where, you know, I remember them when, and you think to yourself, my God, what happened to George? You know, I mean, they, they somehow, you know, the, the, the job began to define them. And I think that, you know, one of the concepts of the core that we were referring to earlier is that person you are as you are. And one of my first bosses said to me that, after I made a presentation, and I, I was perfect man because I was so afraid that people would learn that I was a, that I was a goofball and a kid from Babylon <laughs> that they wouldn't take me seriously. So therefore, I became a leader, and I talked like this, and I behaved like that, and all this business. And of course, you know, he said, "Hey, Kev, you know, why don't you step out from behind that suit, kid? You know, people are never going to follow you if they if you are not authentic and the true person uh, that that you really are." Um, so, um, uh, in fact. Uh, 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 I learned that the thing you've got to take with you as you as you grow is your genuine self. Okay, last question because I know you're tight for time. You used this amazing word authentic just now. And I think one of the things that makes or defines an authentic person is somebody that's always asking themselves, hey, am I am I for real? Shouldn't I be doing better? Constantly criticizing yourself, not not in front of people, but behind yes. the eyes. Do you still have that? I think, yes. Um, I, I seem to recall that sort of, you know, success belongs to the paranoid, you know, whoever said that. <laughs> I, really, I really think that you can't believe your own press. You know, you've got to continue to ask yourself, you know, look yourself in the mirror. And for me, it's really, really easy because my interior age is 13. So no matter what's <laughs> happened in my life, I'm still a goofball from Babylon, and and the, the, when you look yourself in the mirror, and you just remember from whence you come, at the end of this day, end of the day, this whole thing is a human game. Um, while you may be while you may be buoyant, you know, I suppose to say you'll always have your feet on the ground. Now, if people want to learn more, uh, where should they go? What uh, web resource should you point them to? They can just tap www.thecaseofthemissingcutlery.com uh, and they'll find the book. Today we'll be talking to uh, Kevin Allen about The Case of the Missing Cutlery. It is an awesome book. It's a short read. You can pick it up, do it over lunch, and boom, you will be a superstar in the afternoon. Kevin, thanks again for coming on the show. The pleasure is entirely mine. Have a good day. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe, leave comments, or make a request on our website, businessbooktalk.com. See you next week.